so you're region two no you're region three no you're region two i i, I mean what did we just watch happen uh, over the last few days you know, my, uh, I think my favorite tweet from the weekend was, I think it was Nicholas Jones who asked, does the NCAA screw up like this at other levels? I mean, it just makes no sense that they would have a conference slated in one place and then on October, what's 15th, 16th? Last week. Don't Last week, yeah. Well, and, and I know that um, for one of our, our coaching friends that apparently about a month ago, it appeared in, in sort of like the preview uh, thing for them on the on the racks, but you know, a, a, a conference with everyone in Pennsylvania is in Region Three. I mean, come on. Well, this happened almost in 2019 when the PAC was going to be in Region Three and the ASC yeah. was going to be in Region Six. And uh, as we had tweeted out yesterday, the rationale the football committee put out to the championships committee was, look, they're not regionally, uh, let's say, put together geographically. And so if your aim is to use these regions for regionally ranked opponents and they're not going to play each other, well, it makes no sense. So, okay, you're going to put the landmark in a spot where only they would play maybe the ODAC, maybe on occasion. Uh, these are not their perennial uh, opponents that you're putting them with at all. And that's just not smart. And uh, that was what was going on there. Okay, you're going to end up with more teams in Region 2 and maybe a slightly more chance for regionally ranked opponents. But remember, uh, they said pick 20% of each region for regional, regional rankings. They didn't do it last year. You're right. It should have been nope. 8 last year uh, at a minimum. And now it should be nine, and Region 6 should be complaining also because they should get eight uh, last year and this year, I believe. So yeah. can we actually do it by the rules that we set in the first place on this, folks? Because that, that seems a little bit wonky to me that you're putting yeah. certain regions at disadvantages here. And last we heard, in case you didn't hear, was that the landmark will be in Region 2, as we had originally found out. And uh, that, of course, it could change again. Who knows? Uh, you know, we got it direct from the commissioner yesterday. Uh, Katie Bulvich mm-hmm. uh, told us, I, I talked to the NCAA. They said Region 2 uh, is where we're at this year. They could change it in the future, uh-huh. but Region 2 for now. So there you go. Um, if we, <laughs> this, this seems like the worst soap opera ever. As the landmark uh, days of their lives <laughs> or something like that. As it turns or wherever, yeah. Yes, yeah, as the landmark turns. I like that. That's probably where I was going yeah. with that. But anyway, uh, that's just part of the, uh, I guess, fun of Division Three football. That's why we do this show each Absolutely. week, a couple times each week for us. And uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about what happened in Week 7, the actual stuff on the field, here on Season 16 of In the Huddle. So, JB, we're going to change our uh, process a little bit on uh, crunch time uh, when we get to it today. We're going to get a little more in-depth with some of our games and then go to more of an express model with the other games. Uh, And then uh, once we get to the final week of the season, for those that I don't usually watch, because of all the things we have going on here with the ECAC Bowls, uh, which we haven't heard yet. You you do do have the hat on. It's kind of uh, fitting. I just brought this up. Uh, we go to the full express yeah. model on crunch time because we don't have as much time to get you about 9,000 clips uh, at that point in time. But we're going to start breaking down the games that are really having implications ultimately or that were re- really down to the wire and are important games uh, for many different reasons. So you'll see that in a little bit here coming up on crunch time. However, uh, I need a 30,000-foot view. I, I got to watch a lot of action this weekend because I didn't uh, travel, yeah. and uh, there's some exciting games, but nobody seemed to lose, you know, at least in the ranked teams, well, uh, in upsets-wise. Uh, what did you see in your 30,000-foot view? 
You know, what I saw was a combination of factors. The we had some more undefeated teams fall, and the while other conference leaders kind of stood tall amidst the chaos. Um, not all races are equal, conference races that is, and and um, some pool A bids are going to be much harder to come by. And some teams took some heavy losses with respect to injuries, particularly uh, Ithaca, fifth-year senior quarterback AJ Wingfield. We're hearing reports that he had a broken tibia. Uh, probably a season ender, unfortunately, a, an amazing career that he had. And I, I think it sucks that a, a student athlete as good as him will not be able to get a chance to uh, play a Cortica game on his home field, won't get a chance to really lead his team into the playoffs. It definitely is going to hurt Ithaca's chances to do anything uh, in, in the playoffs potentially. But, you know, we don't know. There's Always the next man up mentality. They have a great defense. They have a lot of weapons, uh, uh, receiver and, and uh, running back. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, um, you know, some of these conference races, it's just a knockdown, dragout fight. Hopkins almost lost. They, they needed a lot of help to get past uh, Franklin and Marshall. So they're, we're coming down to the, to the wire here, the final four weeks of the season. And there's still going to be some tough games ahead. And I uh, just got to hope that everyone can stay healthy for that final playoff push. Yeah, uh, we're sending our best here to A.J. Wingfield. You know, got to talk to him a week earlier after that big RPI yeah. win and then to see what happened on the field at Ithaca versus Union. Uh, it was a, a very disappointing, depressing thing for everybody involved. Uh, I know uh, yeah. our friend Donovan Picatti was uh, reaching out to him along the way and uh, sending him his best. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the collegial nature of the Liberty League and Division Three in general. Yep. Quarterbacks hate to see their colleagues out there essentially getting hurt. And uh, they do care. Obviously, it's knockdown drag out during the game, but you don't want to see yeah. uh, people getting hurt in this whole game uh, whatsoever. And uh, there you go. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we're going to do crunch time now. And, uh, folks, we got 20 games to talk about uh, on top of all the scores that uh, JB is going to be running down. He looks so shocked, but he does the slides. He knows what we're doing. 20 games. Who knew, yeah. right? 20. Ooh, wow. Here we yeah. go. You ready for this? I think so. Might just need a little more coffee. Yeah, we're doing this on Tuesday early morning. Uh, folks, this is crunch time for week number seven of the 2023 Division Three college football season. As usual, we start in Region 1 with Western New England at Endicott. Five minutes into the game, Javier Cosme Diaz gets a four-yard touchdown run for Endicott to give the Gulls a 7-0 lead. We'll go to two minutes left first quarter. Western New England answers. Greg Perry gets a 10-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Millerick. That makes it 7 apiece. Endicott would add a field goal early in the second quarter, and then in the second quarter, 8.41 left, Western New England's Pat Harrigan makes it 14-10 with a 29-yard touchdown pass from Conrad Swanson. So 14-10, Western New England leads at halftime. Third quarter, 11-20 left. Endicott's Anthony Caggianelli gets a three-yard touchdown run. The Gulls get the lead back, 17-14. They pile it on a little bit more with a minute... 20 into the fourth quarter, Marcus Bridgewater's 34-yard touchdown run makes it 24-14 Endicott. But hold on, 9-0-1 left fourth quarter, Tyler Millerick with the 8-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Larson, 24-21. A little bit of trickeration from time to time in this game and a little bit of excitement uh, for sure. It's 24-21, Endicott leading. Endicott would punt, so would Western New England, so Endicott gets the ball back with 4.57 left. And fourth and one, Anthony Caggianelli puts the game away with this three-yard run, and that would do it as they were able to run out the last five minutes of the game. It's a very close game, though, 24-21 Endicott. WNE led 14-10 at the half. The offense for WNE had three passing touchdowns from three different passers. Caggianelli, 19 rushes, 90 yards, one rushing touchdown. JB will bring it back out to us here. And boy, that game was definitely closer than a lot of people would have thought. Although we did warn folks 
coming into the weekend yeah. that you know Endicott needed to not drop one here because there's no safety at nine and one for them, or actually eight and two it would be uh, realistically because they lost to uh, Ithaca early in this season. So they need mm-hmm. to still win the CCC. Yeah, and, and while some conferences have been playing games since week one and two, this was week one of the CCC's conference play, and it's hard to believe that uh, in week seven, but here we are. And yeah, Endicott looked a little sluggish to get to get going, and WNE was like, hey, we're 0-0 here, and, and really took it to the goal. So um, interesting to see some of these New England conferences starting so late. Same thing, I think, with the ECFC, but that's how it goes. Let's go to the NESCAC also here for another in-depth game, Middlebury at Trinity. In the second quarter, 9.45 left, Donovan Wood gets an 18-yard touchdown pass from Cole Kennan. It made it 7-6, Middlebury. Second quarter, 43 seconds left, it's Trinity answering as Matthew Jooms gets a 44-yard field goal to make it 9-7 at halftime in favor of Trinity. On this uh, play you're seeing here, you're going to see Cole Kennan get intercepted by Darren Warren. And that's important here as you'll see Trinity again get a field goal. Matthew Jooms, a 42-yard field goal. And that leads to, on the other side here, Patrick Jamin. A 7-yard touchdown pass from Cole Kennan giving Millbury a 14-12 lead. Matthew Jooms would hit his fifth field goal with 5.44 left in the fourth quarter. A 27-yarder, 15-14, Trinity took the lead back, but with two minutes left in the fourth. It's Mike Ohanan with a 68-yard touchdown pass from Cole Kennan, giving Millbury the lead back, 20-15. Here's the last chance here. They do give to Napoli, and he is stopped. The clock continues to run. Ten seconds to go. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And game over. Middlebury wins. 20 to 15. Cole Kennan, 20 20 of 35, 285 yards, three passing touchdowns, two interceptions. Matthew, Matthew Humes. Five for five on field goals, but that's the problem here in this game, JB. They couldn't get into the end zone once, Trinity, in this game, and they end up losing it as a result. Yeah, and in the process, uh, John McCool, the linebacker from Middlebury, got a gold helmet award, uh, which is granted by the sports writers in New England for uh, breaking that 15-game, I think, home win streak that the Bantams had. And now there's a, a three-car pileup at the top of the NESCAC, and even though it doesn't um, necessarily impact the NCAA playoffs, there are zero undefeated teams in Region 1 at this point. Makes things a little interesting for some of these NESCAC rivalry games down the road. And congratulations to Middlebury, my dad's school, um, and go Panthers. Let's go express for the rest of Region 1. First, Gallaudet at Castleton, fourth quarter, four minutes into that quarter. Wyatt Jackson for Castleton gets a five-yard touchdown pass from James Galarno. 23-3, Castleton led, but here comes Gallaudet. 10.53 left, fourth quarter. Andre Green with a 91-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. I'll have to speak slowly here so we get the entire thing until he hits the end zone. And that made the score 23-10 as they're 13 points down now, Gallaudet. And then you're going to see uh, James Galarno fumbling the ball to Andrew Suarez. And from that, Micah Harvey gets a four-yard touchdown run to make it a six-point game with 316 left. 23-17, Castleton still leading. Then Noah Grossman has a block of his punt by Nathanson here. And so 239 left. It's McCall getting a 14-yard touchdown run for Gallaudet. 24-23, they lead. Still, it's Castleton with a chance. Noah Crossman has a field goal attempt from 28 yards, and it is missed wide left, and that would do it. Gallaudet wins 24-23. Running back, Drayvon McCall, 15 rushes, 112 yards, one rushing touchdown. 20-point lead disappears in that game. Kings at Lebval, third quarter, 11-22 left. Kings... Brennan Robinson gets a 33-yard touchdown run to make it 27-7 in favor of Kings. Left Val would come back, though. 7-19 left third quarter. Ryan Enright, a 15-yard fumble recovery for a touchdown. The scoop and score made it 27-14. 5-30 left third quarter. Braden Bohannon, a one-yard touchdown run, makes it a six-point game. 
27-21, but Kings would respond. Fourth quarter, 4-11 left. Ryan McCombs, 21-yard touchdown pass from Russell Miner Shaw. 35-21 is the score, and that's the final. As Kings defense had five takeaways, that's two fumble recoveries and three interceptions, and Russell Miner Shaw, 170 total yards, two passing and one rushing touchdown. Westcon at Framingham State in the MASCAC. Second quarter, 157 left. Western Connecticut's Deshaun Allen gets a 48-yard touchdown pass from Keon Jones. 21-13, Westcon leads. Then in the third quarter, 10-16 left, it's Julian Ferguson, 28 yards from Keon Jones, 28-13, and here comes a trend that we're forming in this discussion, as in the fourth quarter, 44 seconds into it, Chad Blasky gets a 30-yard touchdown pass from Keon Jones, a 35-13 score at that point. There will be a lot more scoring in that fourth quarter. Final score, Westcon 56. Framingham State 34, Keon Jones 17 for 36, 462 yards, 5 passing touchdowns. Devon Ford 27 rushes, 116 yards, 2 rushing touchdowns. MIT faced off at US MMA and it was the Cesar Gonzalez show in the first half for Merchant Marine. 457 left, a 5 yard touchdown run in the first quarter for him, made it 7-7. Seven seven. Then 12.05 left in the first half. Gonzalez gets an 11-yard touchdown run to make it 14-7, Merchant Marine. Then, Cesar Gonzalez again, a 1-yard touchdown run, 16 seconds left in the first half, 21-7, Merchant Marine. The final score, 28-14, as Merchant Marine beats MIT. Gonzalez, 27 rushes, 132 yards, and those three rushing touchdowns. Brady Klein, 27 rushes for MIT, and two, uh, 106 yards. Finally, in Region 1, Mass Dartmouth. At Westfield State, UMD led 20-7 heading into the fourth quarter. 7.30 left, Westfield State's Gabriel Fernandez had a one-yard touchdown run, 20-13 now. It was UMD still leading, but Westfield State's Michael Foley would get a 28-yard touchdown pass from Gabriel Fernandez, and that turned things into a 20-20 tie. Dante Villasantos here had a chance, fourth and goal from the four. It was incomplete, so we would go to overtime. Westfield State's Cooper Harvey started overtime with a 35-yard field goal, 23-20. But Angel Sanchez gets a 25-yard touchdown pass from Dante Villasantos. And that would do it as, my goodness, UMD wins 26-23. Villasantos, 16 for 34, 319 yards, three passing touchdowns and an interception. Michael Foley, three receptions, 105 yards, two receiving touchdowns for Westfield State. Boy, I, I don't know what's going on really there in the MASCAC with some of these scores, but uh, it's good to yeah. see, uh, you know, a little bit of excitement there, to say the least. And this thing will not be decided still for a few more weeks, it looks like, in that conference. Yeah, definitely not. And we already talked about how Thursday night the JB curse helped uh, Mass Maritime come back to defeat Worcester State after being down by um, a couple of touchdowns. They win 22-19 to on Thursday. Del Valls, blanked FDU Forum. The only other scores that sort of jump out at me in Region 1, Frank. Alfred State winning 46-20. to Somebody needs to win the ECFC. It looks like the Pioneers could be that team. That's a, a lot of offense. And so I tentatively have them as sort of my preliminary favorite there with only one game into the conference season. A few more weeks to go. We'll see how it plays out. Elsewhere, uh, Widener wins a close one over Misericordia, 31-27. Colby nips Amherst 19-16 with a field goal, it looks like, there. Um, Husson wins, and University of New England, Frank, listen to this. They managed to um, win 62-26. to They set program records for points, 62. Total yards, 639. Rushing yards with 362. Rushing touchdowns with 6. Longest run in program history was 67. And 9 total, t t nine total touchdowns. Holy smokes. The Nor'easters are on fire here. Maybe we don't want to say that um, Endicott's got the CCC lockdown. This New England team is really something else. Elsewhere, Williams wins by a touchdown 24-17. Tufts beats Wesleyan on Saturday night. And as I said in our Crunch Time Friday show, if you wanted to see a fun Friday uh, sorry, Friday night, Saturday night game, we play college football on Saturdays usually. Eastern wins 29-9 over Albright, their second of the season. 
for an upstart program, so far so good. And these guys are, are in Region 1. Maybe they'll be in Region 3 next week. We'll see. We don't know. But we like them in Region 1 and provisionally with the MAC. And so congratulations to the Eagles on their win on Saturday night. Heck, put them in Region 7, I say. Hey, give them their yeah. own damn region. They, they've been having a good season. Let, let's go. <laughs> now, uh, let's let's go to Region 2. We'll go back in depth here as Johns Hopkins was at Franklin and Marshall. This halftime score was 7-6, Franklin and Marshall. Third quarter, three minutes into it, it was Brady Asselton getting a 25-yard touchdown pass from Ty Tremba. 13-6, Franklin and Marshall led. Hopkins responds, though. Josh Polsey with a 51-yard touchdown pass to Bay Harvey. Five minutes into the third quarter, tie the game at 13 apiece. Halfway into the third quarter, Gary Lewis for Franklin and Marshall. An eight-yard touchdown pass from Ty Trumba. Made it 20-13, Franklin and Marshall. But EJ Tellerico made a 2020 uh, game a tie again with this 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. And we'll just let him run here as it's 7.32 left third quarter on that 20-20 score. 12.53 left in the fourth quarter. Bay Harvey gets his own three-yard touchdown run for Hopkins. 27-20 Hopkins, but they would get another uh, touchdown next here. Three minutes later, it's Will Lager with a 40-yard touchdown pass from Harvey. 34-20 Hopkins leading. Franklin Marshall wouldn't go away. 4.53 left. Brady Asselton, a one-yard touchdown pass from Ty Tremba. 34-27. Hopkins still led. The onside kick failed, and Spencer Uggla's uh, third and one run here gains three yards, gives a first down to Hopkins, and would allow them to run out the clock as Hopkins, the Blue Jays, win this game 34-27. Bay Harvey. 383 total yards, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown in an interception. Ty Tremba, 14 for 30, 190 yards, four passing touchdowns. Hopkins has got to be careful here. We've been saying it, the Centennial is more than just them in Muhlenberg. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, if it wasn't for that 98-yard kickoff return, who knows where this game would have gone. I mean, um, the, the dips had them on the ropes there for a little bit, but sometimes... You know, football is a three-phase game, and it took the special teams to give the, the Blue Jays a little extra something to get over the hump. It's a, a big win. We talked about on Friday how Hopkins really has a brutal gauntlet of conference games starting last weekend and now you know, continuing forward. They got through this test, but they still have a bunch more to come. In depth again, we'll go Ithaca hosting Union. Five minutes into the game, Julian Domega gets a 32-yard touchdown pass from H.A. Wingfield to take a 7-0 lead. The teams to trade field goals in the meantime. The halftime score would be 10-3 Ithaca. Then we'll go here. This Max Gluck field goal attempt for Union from 34 yards was no good midway through the third quarter. The next play, what a messy third quarter this turned into as it's fumbled right back to Union. And ultimately, it was Jack Flanagan forcing the fumble and Cole De Silva recovering it for Union. Later, though, it is Jonathan Piccati with this 21-yard 20, uh, reception to Tommy Leonard. And that set up this Piccati one-yard touchdown run with 5.16 left in the third quarter, making it 10-9 Ithaca as the extra point was missed. Then later on in this third quarter, you'll see Jalen Leonard Osborne with his 56-yard touchdown run that's called back because of unsportsmanlike conduct as he ran. And therefore, it wiped the touchdown and the field goal attempt would be no good from 29 yards out. What a mistake there. Later though, fourth quarter, 9.36 left. Jalen Leonard Osborne makes up, with, uh, makes up for that with a six-yard touchdown run, 17-9 Ithaca led. A.J. Wingfield would be uh, hurt in this game around midway through the fourth quarter, around four and a half minutes left. Uh, we're not going to show you the play. We'll show you, though, that Donovan McCaddy is intercepted by Derek Slyka, uh, and that would pretty much do it, as you'll see Colin Shum uh, run out the clock in this last play, and it is Union losing to Ithaca in this game, 17-9. Jalen Leonard Osborne, 23 rushes, 130 yards, one rushing touchdown. Donovan McCaddy for Union, 235 total yards, one rushing touchdown in an interception. JB, I'll tell you, that was a, an interesting game. Union had a lot of opportunities in this game. They did not yeah. take uh, take uh, Ithaca up on them, basically. And uh, Ithaca had some great stops, too. Don't get me wrong. But, boy, this thing was in doubt till the very end. 
Yeah, which is kind of what we expected with uh, programs to this level. I mean, you know, one of the things that I have seen over the last mm, 30 years of, of being a you know, upstate New York Liberty League guy, th these rivalry games are intense. I mean, I I get why um, you know Leonard Osborne might have you know danced to the end zone a little bit, but you gotta you gotta button that up a little more. I mean, it could have opened up the game for Ithaca potentially. But, and it kept Union in it, which was um, certainly a, you know, a good thing for them. But at the end of the day, uh, defensive effort, great game. Um, Bacati and Union, you know, slugged right there. They, any, either one of these teams could, I mean, that's what we've been seeing. Hobart was close with Ithaca, so was RPI, so was Union. I think all of these games are gonna be really close. And, uh, you know, it's a shame though with Win Wingfield's injury that Ithaca could be winning the, the league but going into the playoffs um, with a bit of a disadvantage. Also shame that we're not sure if a 9-1 RPI or Hobart or Union ultimately will yeah. get into the playoffs. It, it, it's that much of a weird situation going on right now and we'll see how it starts to play I out. I think, yeah, and I think unfortunately because of the, the musical chairs situation that happened with the, the landmark Empire 8 and with uh, the Centennial and NJAC, the Liberty League scheduling situation is going to hamper them. Um, it's going to hurt their strength of schedule, and ultimately, I think there's going to be some nine and one team out there that does not get in. We'll see. Uh, it's still a lot of football to be played out there. Let's go to the NJAC here uh, as we go back to Express Model, and it's Christopher Newport at Rowan. First, uh, the last play of the first quarter is Gunnar White getting its 49-yard touchdown run for Christopher Newport for a 14-3 lead. Rowan would respond, 106 left second quarter. Nunes uh, Bukulov, the fourth, gets a six-yard touchdown run, 21-10. It's uh, the captain still leading in the game. Rowan would get one more touchdown, 207 left in the game. Kevin Degnan gets his 95-yard touchdown pass from Nate Myers, making it 21-18. But you'll see here that the onside kick fails and Christian Newport runs out the clock. 21-18 final. Gunner White, 23 rushes, 95 yards, one rushing touchdown. Nunez Bikila, the fourth for Rowan, 28 rushes, 123 yards, one rushing touchdown. Then Lycoming at Catholic. Third quarter, 11.50 left. It's Sam Carnacion getting a one-yard touchdown pass from Nico Caceres, who had come in for Madden Low in this game after the first quarter. And 17-14 was the score at that point uh, in favor of Catholic. Lyco Kasim Benson, a one-yard touchdown run, 21-17 in favor of Lyco. 6.15 left in the fourth quarter at that point. 4.03 left. Lyco again. Terrence Oliver, one-yard touchdown run, 28-17 Lyco. Catholic would try to come back here. A minute 34 left. It's Preston Jeffrey with a 35-yard touchdown pass from Caceres, 28-25. And they're going to try to come back here finally with a last-second attempt. Nico Caceres is intercepted by Reinhardt at the Catholic 23-yard line, and that would do it. Lyco gets their first win of the season against Catholic, 28-25. Caceres, 45 for 67. 399 yards. That wow. was in three quarters, folks. Three passing touchdowns and an interception. Kasim Benson, 21 rushes, 127 yards, one rushing touchdown. JB, uh, Catholic, that's one they definitely would like to have back uh, in a driving mm. rain, as I said, for much of that game. Uh, unfortunately uh, for the Cardinals, uh, it goes in the L as they head to the bye week. Talk to Coach Catellius, and uh, he definitely has optimism about what his team has, but obviously needs them to be playing better in that game. Yeah, who'd have thought if you had a quarterback that threw for 400 yards basically in three quarters that it wouldn't be enough to win? But sometimes that's how football games go. And elsewhere in Region 2, we saw a lot of the favorites basically um, get big wins, starting with Susquehanna, who seems to really control their destiny in the landmark. They're, they won 56 to nothing. Portland, Muhlenberg, Grove City, all winning comfortably. And, and as you can kind of see down the line, pretty much favorites winning. The Rochester-St. Lawrence game was kind of interesting, Frank. The, uh, the Yellow Jackets had to hold off the Saints there a, a little late. And then on the other slide, since we had so many to cover here, um, the game that stood out to me was this Case Western-Westminster 31-6 game. Um, a really impressive win for the Spartans. This will probably put them in a driver's seat for an ECAC bowl bid. Hence, the uh, maybe that's why I'm wearing the hat today. I don't know. It just seemed to kind of match my outfit. But hey, um, Bowden wins 35-20. to 20, So they're 
on their way with this uh, CBB rivalry trophy. It'll ultimately come down to them and Colby, and we'll see what happens there. Fisher wins 38 to 21. Time for some Region 3 in-depth action here as Texas Lutheran visited Hardin-Simmons. 5.30 left first quarter, Colton Marshall gets a five-yard touchdown run to give Hardin-Simmons a 14-0 lead against the one-win uh, Texas Lutheran team at that point in time. I bring that up because now look what happens. Second quarter, 10.29 left, Caden Basenko, an eight-yard touchdown run gives Texas Lutheran the lead, 15-14. Then five minutes later, it's Dozy Ifiadi with a 24-yard touchdown pass from Galen Glenn, who's back in the game at this point, back in uh, SQB for Harden-Simmons, 21-15 HSU leads. We'll go to the third quarter. Noah Garcia for Harden-Simmons gets his 44-yard touchdown pass from Glenn, 27-15 Harden-Simmons. Then four minutes later, Jacob Wallace, a five-yard touchdown pass from Caden Bosanko, makes it 27-22 as Harden-Simmons is trying to now cling to the lead. Carlos Perez has a field goal attempt that is no good later on. That would have made it an eight-point game. Uh, ultimately, it was blocked by Caleb Hamilton. And then we'll go later on as Caden Bosanko is sacked for a loss of six yards and a recovery by Harden Simmons. So back and forth, here we go. Galen Glenn later on, he sacked for 12 yards with 6.09 left in this game and fumbled the ball. Uh, David Augustin gets this uh, ball for TLU. The teams with trade punts after all that back and forth. Uh, 3.41 left. It's TLU's ball. They let a lot of time elapse during uh, this, during, despite having three timeouts. And you'll see the clock, third and three. Caden Basenko gets a 16-yard gain with eight seconds left to the 12-yard line. And that's how long it took with those timeouts still. And then they have one last chance as Basenko passes incomplete, looking for Joshua Moncrief in, this, uh, in the end zone. And that would do it. Final score, somehow, someway, Harden-Simmons wins again, 27-22. Glynn was 29 for 22, 224 yards, two passing touchdowns, and an interception. Caden Basenko, 23 rushes, 97 yards, one rushing touchdown. And you want to talk about a soap opera. Their season, in terms of Harden-Simmons, has turned into one Jeez. the way this has been playing out ever since that Endicott game. Yeah, and I know that my uh, my son, who's a gamer, GG means good game, but in this case, it's it's really Galen Glenn, and I imagine Cowboys fans are relieved to have him back behind center. Uh, they needed his, uh, I mean, 22 of 29. I mean, this was definitely a, a game that could have gone the wrong way, and, and Harden-Simmons is still living a little dangerously here, um, playing close with teams that they normally would beat by 30 points. We'll see how that shakes out for the rest of the season, but at least with Glenn back under center, maybe the Cowboys can start turning the corner. Let's go Express here for the uh, last games of Region 3. Randolph-Macon at Bridgewater. It's uh, JoJo Marinella for Randolph-Macon. 4-15 left first quarter, getting his 56-yard touchdown pass from Drew Campanelli. 7-0 Randolph-Macon. Then second quarter, a minute and a half into it, it is JoJo Marinella again. 20 yards from Campanelli. Makes it 17-0 in favor of Randolph-Macon. Halftime was 24-3. Third quarter, about six minutes into it, Queasy Clark, an eight-yard touchdown run for the Yellow Jackets. 31-3. They were just rolling this game. 38-3. Randolph-Macon wins. Campanelli, 16 for 23, 222 yards, two uh, touchdowns. And uh, their offense outgained Bridgewater 416-105. to Hampton-Sydney to Averett. Seven minutes into the game, Averett's Jamari Owens, 80-yard touchdown pass from Bryce Jackson, made it 14-7 Averett. Second quarter, 4.43 left, Hampton Sydney's Mason Cunningham, 64-yard touchdown pass from Andrew Puccinelli to make it 28-17 in favor of Hampton Sydney. Then we'll take you to the fourth quarter, 5.06 left, Sean Watlington, a 46-yard touchdown pass from Bryce Jackson, ties the game at 28 apiece, my goodness, Hampton Sydney. Gets a field goal with 43 seconds left. It's Elijah Sweat. The 29-yarder makes it 31-28 late in this game. You'll see here that a field goal attempt from 48 yards uh, occurs. Will Cavernous attempts it after missing one for 53, but an offsides penalty with no time left gave them another chance. It's no good. And Hampton Sydney holds on 31-28. Puccinelli, 31 for 47, 448 yards, three passing touchdowns and an interception. Sean Watlington from Averett, 
eight receptions, 176 yards, one receiving touchdown. Region 3, as usual, does not necessarily have the length of uh, or depth of games, per se, that we're going to talk about mm -hmm. here, but still some exciting ones. Yeah, and other than sort of the usual suspects and the, and the favorites winning, like UMHB, Barry, uh, Center, Shenandoah, Brevard, and Bellhaven, if you look up in the upper right, there were some close calls. Um, Huntington needed a touchdown to, to edge out Maryville at home. That was a close one in the USA South. I mean, there's still a chance that something could change there. I mean, Bellhaven's in the lead, but Brevard is still undefeated in that space. Huntington's kind of lurking back there, hoping for maybe a tiebreaker situation. ETBU squeaks by McMurray by one point. Same thing with Birmingham Southern and Hendricks. These two SAA rivals have always played close games. And once again, it was a close call for the Panthers, but they end up on the winning side of things. Howard Payne and, and NC Wesleyan rounded out, both winning with almost the exact same amount of offense, 35-11 to 11 for Howard Payne and 34-28 for NC Wesleyan. Finally, in regions four through six, we'll go in depth for three games. First, well, we'll be Wisconsin special, as you'll see here coming up for a little bit. Uh, Whitewater at River Falls. A minute into the second quarter, Tommy Coates gets a 21-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden to make it 12-0. Whitewater, but this would be their second uh, missed conversion uh, in this uh, game. So 12 to zero was where the score would lay for them. A field goal would later make it 15 to zero, though. Whitewater, 2:25 left second quarter. River Falls would be heard from Mason Van Zeeland gets an 18-yard touchdown pass from Caleb Laha, our guest from Friday morning, to make it 15 to seven. Still Whitewater's lead at halftime. Third quarter. 9.50 left. Whitewater's Tamir Thomas gets a five-yard touchdown run. Again, the extra point no good. 21-7 in favor of Whitewater. Fourth quarter, 13.09 left. Caleb Laha, a seven-yard touchdown run, makes it 21-14. So, closer game there. We'll see some more weirdness here as Jeffrey Satala McGuire misses a 43-yard field goal for Whitewater. And with 5-7 left, it was still 21-14. The teams would trade punts. River Falls ball with 2.45 left, but you'll see this 4th and 16 play as Caleb Laha is incomplete. And that would do it. The final score, 21-14, Whitewater. Alec Ogden, 253 total yards, one passing and one rushing touchdown and an interception. Caleb Laha, 314 total yards, one rushing and one passing touchdown, two interceptions, however, in the game. JB, uh, you know, a game that we thought River Falls might have a little bit more offensive prowess in. Ultimately, that Whitewater defense clamps down and pounding the rock obviously worked for Whitewater, especially late in this game. Yeah, and, you know, having Alec Ogden back at full strength certainly doesn't hurt. I mean, all these quarterbacks in, in the WE or WIAC, did we ever decide where we came out on that? Maybe we'll get to your poll that you put out there in a little bit, but we'll say the Wisconsin Conference for now. They have very athletic quarterbacks that can run and can throw. Ogden had a good game, and, and Blaha started off, even though he ended up with more total yards and, and I think even touchdowns. Um, just it was a, a, a little bit of a slower start. It was a lot of pressure for the Falcons, this big, big time game. And, you know, Whitewater making things interesting as always. And, and now we have, uh, who knows, we're going to talk about tiebreakers at some point with this conference, I have a feeling. <laughs> We'll see a lot of football we played there for sure, and uh, one of the teams that might make some noise is Platteville, but first they had to host lacrosse. Second quarter, first play of it, Kaiser Helterbrand, a two-yard touchdown run for lacrosse. It was 7-0 in favor of lacrosse. Then 23 seconds left in the first half, Platteville answers Brant Stair, gets a 12-yard touchdown pass from Michael Priami to make it seven apiece. Third quarter, four minutes into it, again, same combination, Brant Stair, eight yards this time from Michael Priami, makes it 14-7, Platteville leading. Lacrosse responds less than a minute later, Jack Janke, a six-yard touchdown pass from Kaiser Heltebrand, 14 apiece. Platteville would get a field goal, making it 17-14, but Lacrosse, with a minute 13 left in that third quarter, gets a touchdown. Jack Studer, a 16-yard touchdown pass from Zach Weir. 21-17, Lacrosse led. Platteville was able to later get to the 13-yard line of Lacrosse before a false start and a sack pushed them back to 2nd and 22. Uh, ultimately, it would lead to an interception with 8:24 left. It was Nate Hypis for lacrosse with that big interception the teams would eventually trade punts platteville get the ball back with 124 left 
and you'll see here on this fourth and 15 Michael Prammy complete but obviously they're trying to do the lateral game and it's not to be ultimately fumbled away and out of bounds short of the line to gain that would do it as lacrosse beat platteville 21 to 17. helterbrand 228 total yards one passing one rushing touchdown michael priami 33 for 50 294 yards two passing touchdowns but two interceptions for platteville like I said, JB, this Platteville team could make some noise against the, quote, big three yeah. this season, which we think are River Falls, Whitewater, and Lacrosse. Lacrosse, they couldn't quite get past, but they still got some more where that came from. Yeah, I mean, look at Parami's stats. I mean, if you, if you take away a couple of those interceptions, maybe they win this game almost 300 yards passing, a couple of touchdowns. But once again, um, you know, Helterbrand is, is, is a special uh, quarterback, special athlete, able to run and pass like we've seen from a lot of these uh, Wisconsin QBs. So close call for lacrosse, a tough win on the road, but they, they got it. They're the only undefeated uh, team in um, the, the conference at the moment. We'll have to see if they can keep that 3-0 record intact or if it's going to start falling by the wayside like we've seen in the, already in the first couple of weeks of conference play. Final in-depth game for Regions 4 through 6 was Wabash at Denison. Four minutes into the second quarter, Josh Aiello for Denison gets a 14-yard touchdown pass from Jimmy Steins, making it 14-7 Denison leading. Wabash would close the gap with a field goal, so before halftime it was 14-10, still Denison's lead. Six minutes into the third quarter, Derek Allen Jr., a 28-yard touchdown pass from Leon Thompson gives Wabash the lead 17-14. Thompson would add his own 28-yard touchdown run three minutes later. 24-14, Wabash leading, but Denison responds. Three minutes left, third quarter, Josh Aiello, a 22-yard touchdown pass from Jimmy Steins. 24-21, still Wabash's lead. Denison turned the ball over twice after this touchdown, but Wabash couldn't capitalize. Fourth quarter, 245 left, Josh Aiello, an eight-yard touchdown pass from Jimmy Steins. Stop me if you heard that before. That's the third time I told you about that combo to make it 28-24, Denison. Later on, 4th and 11, Liam Thompson is incomplete, broken up by Vince Zalisco. Denison, 28, Wabash, 24. Liam Thompson for Wabash, 321 total yards, two, rush, two passing and rushing touchdown, uh, two interceptions, though, also. Trey Fabricini, 32 rushes, 142 yards, and one rushing touchdown for Denison. JB, a little bit of a shocking result here in the NCAC. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, because Denison had chances to knock off DePaul. They've had some chances to, to knock off some other teams, and uh, they finally caught Wabash. Um, I think those, those two interceptions were big in, in this game when, when you look at it from a four-point game perspective. Fabricini is a really great running back. He can eat up a lot of yards and clock, and I think they leaned on him pretty heavily. I mean, 32 rushes, wow. Um, so, as I said at the top of the show, there were some undefeated teams that fell, Wabash being one of them, not only just Trinity at, in their game in Hartford, but uh, the Little Giants are now looking up at DePaul, um, making that Week 11 game loom even bigger since they're not going into it undefeated. Express time for four through six. We'll start with Alma at Hope, 14 to 10 Alma at halftime. Third quarter, three minutes into it, Jordan Williams gets a seven yard touchdown run for Alma to give uh, his team his 21 to, uh, 21 to 10 lead, I should say. Three minutes later, the Scots again. Carter St. John, 18 yard touchdown run, 28 to 10. And then more Alma, four minutes into the fourth quarter. Nate Webb, a 34 yard touchdown pass from Khalil Brown, 35 to 10 was the score then, 35 17 was the final. That's Carter St. John for Alma, 230 total yards, one rushing touchdown. Uh, ben Wellman for Hope, 10 for 15, 103 yards uh, in the game. Then Dubuque at Warburg, second quarter, 638 left. Dubuque has a touchdown. Torrey Butts Jr., a six yard pass from Casey Moore. That was 10 to zero Dubuque. What's going on here with Warburg? Uh, five minutes later, they'll finally respond. Thomas Butters, a nine yard touchdown pass from Mile McLaughlin. 10 to seven, Dubuque still leading. Third quarter, six minutes into it, Bryson White, a 21 yard touchdown pass from McLaughlin. Made it 14 to 10, Warburg has their first lead. Fourth quarter, five minutes into it, Hunter Clausen, turbo, with a two yard touchdown run, 24 to 10 at that point. 31-10, Wartburg wins the game as Dubuque had that 10-0 and 10-7 lead, but it wasn't to be. Niall McLaughlin, 23 for 33, 260 yards, three passing touchdowns and an interception. 
Finally, Carlton at St. John's. Uh, we'll see here in the first quarter, Jack Curtis intercepted by Ethan Stark. And eventually that would lead to this 22-yard touchdown pass from Dylan Wheeler from Aaron Severson. 7-0, St. John's led four minutes into the game. Then Alex Larson gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Severson. 14-0, St. John's led 6.56 left in the first quarter. Then still in the first quarter, 3.59 left, Troy Fetima. A six-yard touchdown run made it 21-0. Eventually, you get to 21-7. Carlton was trying to come back, but you'll see on this third and 10 pass, Jack Curtis intercepted by Noah Arneson, and that would do it. Ultimately, the score 63-7. St. John's, Aaron Severson, 31 for 42, 448 yards, six passing touchdowns. My goodness. In an interception, intense yeah, Obano from Carlton. Eight catches, 59 yards, one receiving touchdown. We thought it would be a closer game than that, JV. It wasn't meant to be as St. John's, though inconsistent this season, puts them away early and often. Yeah, and that was definitely a game that we thought might be more competitive, um, but was not to be. Um, Syverson had a big game, more on him in a little bit, but... Elsewhere in region four through six, we saw once again, some big wins for the uh, top ranked teams like North Central and Mount Union each putting up over 70 points. Um, congratulations to Wayne Ruby Jr. I believe he set the record for uh, receiving touchdowns, yards, and probably everything else, um, you know, breaking the, the long time uh, record held by Cecil Shorts, who we all know um, played in the NFL. So that's, a, that's quite a career accomplishment. And like you said in our Friday show, Frank, this Mount Union defense, they look like they're playoff ready. They've been pitching shutouts. Um, the offense may have heard you and got things going, but Capital, maybe not the toughest competition, but still an impressive win. Linfield, uh, Wheaton, John Carroll, and Aurora all win big. Ohio Wesleyan had to squeak past Hiram, which was kind of a surprise, 19 to 18. That's probably one of the closest games that you'll see in this um, group of regions here. Trine, Kalamazoo, Martin Luther, Minnesota Morris, Hanover, Rose Holman, and Franklin all win. Speaking of Franklin, how about a shout out to um, their running back, Cora, who had a career high, I think uh, 318 yards and four touchdowns in, in this win over Defiance. And maybe not the toughest competition, but still you know, on a rainy, wet day, that's a, a great job by him. He made the D3Football.com team of the week for that along with many others with great stats. Mount St. Joe's, 77-14, and DePaul wins 53-7. One game that really jumps out to me, though, Frank, Augustana at Wash U. We both picked the quote-unquote upset. They hadn't beaten uh, Wash U in a few years, and 35-17 was the final, putting the Vikings in a pretty strong third-place spot there uh, in the CCIW. And, uh, they continue on the upswing there, and so congratulations to them. Lakeland Edges, Concordia, Chicago. Our friends Lake Forest win in a shutout, 47 to nothing. Another shutout, Co. beats Simpson. Concordia, Moorhead, Benedictine, Bethel, North Park, who keeps winning in the CCIW. Congratulations to them with a 20 to 18 win over Illinois Wesleyan. Carroll and Illinois College, top 60 points. You know, Beloit beats Lawrence. Gustavus Adolphus, one of my favorite team names, wins 55 to 18. And really the only uh, clo super close OT game out in, out here was this Loris Nebraska Wesleyan 41 to 38 double OT game. Stout winning big, uh, Buena Vista wins 17 to 10, Monmouth, Oshkosh, Chicago, Wittenberg, Whitworth staying undefeated. All these teams are, are you know are doing pretty well. Pack Lutheran wins 62 to 7. Heidelberg wins 28 to 8 on Saturday night. Wisconsin Lutheran takes down Eureka. Claremont Mud Scripps, after being tripped up last week, gets a win on the road, 30-17. Baldwin-Wallace had a crazy, we just didn't have enough time to fit in, in all these games, but Baldwin-Wallace had a, a great comeback to win 34-22 over Muskingum. And Lewis and Clark beat Specific for the first time, I think in like 12 years, Frank, 51-35. An impressive win for them. And Chapman and Redlands both getting wins. And uh, I think at this point, it's looking like Redlands and, Chat and, uh, and Claremont are the, are the teams in the SKIAC, SKIAC? Can we ever figure out what, what these conferences are called with these acronyms? But anyway, um, that's what you got for regions four through six in week seven. And that's crunch time for week seven of the 2023 Division Three college football season.
Got to get moving here, as uh, obviously that was a little bit longer than normal. Their in-depth focuses, Ooh. but uh, JB, yeah. uh, first things first, we got a little bit of pronunciation 101 uh, for you and for Greg Thomas, ultimately. Uh, coming up with a couple of your players okay. of the week here, or your MVPs, as we call them. JB's MVPs, it, it flows. Um, first off, Aaron Severson, I believe is... Uh, I, I believe that's correct. Okay. Now, that could be a Wiak Wiak thing for all I know, too. Uh, and by the way, Wiak yeah. won 2 to 1. Uh, about 66% of the vote uh, went to Wiak, just so you know. But uh, it's uh, the Mayak. Okay. We know that much for Aaron Severson. Mm -hmm. And I'll let you talk about him briefly here. Severson? Severson. Well, Severson. You know, there were a lot of great offensive performances. Um, you know, Keon Jones from uh, Western Connecticut had a, a big game. I think he's even a converted running back. So that was pretty impressive. But. You know, in a game coming in that was a must-win for the Johnnies, six touchdowns, a lot of almost 500 passing yards. You had to you give it to this guy. Um, so Aaron Siverson, Severson, whatever Severson. the right name yep. is, Severson is the guy um, and, and the big reason why the Johnnies are in, in the front of the clubhouse there in Minnesota. You know, we talked about it earlier, Frank, um, on special teams, this 98-yard uh, kickoff return touchdown by E.J. Tellerico for Johns Hopkins might have saved the season. A huge play at the right time in a close game, and so what a, what a performance for him. And then on the defensive side, I went with another Ithaca guy this week. I just felt like Ben Stoll is... Um, you know, performance and number of tackles, the plays that he made, and it was a really closely contested game against the Union Dutchman Chargers, Garnet, whatever we're calling those guys. <laughs> um, you know, made made sense. So I would, you know, keeping Ithaca's playoff hopes alive was a, was a big reason why uh, Ben ended up being my defensive player of the week. And uh, Tellerico, well done, because uh, Greg was all over the place on that one on uh, Round of Nation, and I gave him a P101 uh, tap on the shoulder and was like, Tellerico, Tellerico. <laughs> uh, I need a tap on the shoulder because look who surges past me and takes the lead. With a 9-2 and two week, 63-20 and 20 versus 61-22, and 22. at least we improved overall, both of us, after that previous yeah. uh, disaster week we had. Week 6 was brutal, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, what to say beyond oops uh, with that week, but, uh, you know, bouncing back. Resilience is a great thing, as I always say. Let's talk uh, questions from our friends out there in Twitter, Xland. Um, and the first one I'd answered already, but, again, uh, I don't know or understand this confusion about why the order of the WIAC, or WIAC, uh, is something other than lacrosse being on top, Whitewater being next, and then River Falls. If lacrosse beats Whitewater and Whitewater beats River Falls, you have a pretty simple A over B over C situation. Now, if somebody comes and beats one of them, uh, or, you know, or River Falls, uh, lacrosse turns into lacrosse losing that game, okay, then we can all have a little bit of debate because it's an unsolvable uh, three-way, one-loss tie scenario between those teams. I just I don't know uh, what to you know say here beyond it kind of speaks for itself. Am I missing something here? Nope, I don't think so. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at the the WIAC WIAC tiebreaker, the head to head matters, and so right now you have only one team that's got a goose egg on the win loss column in the entire conference. So they're obviously at the top of the heap for this week. And then, you know, the teams have played each other. I mean, the results speak for themselves. I don't see the, uh, the confusion either. But, hey, you know, when, it, when you have a conference as deep as this one, you, you never know what's going to go. And it, you still have four more weeks of the season left. A lot can change. There's still a lot of big matchups that are going to happen that will affect the outcome. Then uh, Antoine Cuff asks, will Claremont, Mud Scripps, and Chapman play three times this year? I sure hope not. I mean, they need some more teams out there. Uh, that's for sure at this yeah. point. Um, it's a little bit disappointing to see how this starts turning out. Uh, and whatever there's some happened to all those? Uh, whatever happened to those rumors that they should merge with the ASC? I mean, maybe. I mean, it would be expensive, but. Yeah, well, we'll see. I think the ASC might have to put in a lot more money uh, than uh, some of the Skyac teams out there. I, I don't know if they could even yeah. pull that off. But, you know, either way, 
you, you got to begin asking yourself, maybe the Northwest Conference and the Skyac should uh, officially merge their football too uh, as some yeah. proximity scenario. I don't know uh, where we go with this. Ultimately, it's a little bit embarrassing that we're going to end up having all these double plays and possibly triple play for a conference championship, it seems like. So um, ultimately, Antoine, I don't know. Um, I'm hoping we avoid that type of situation, but we'll see what happens here. Uh, ultimately, uh, well, I, I guess it's double plays, and then what happens, he's asking if they'll play a third time in the NCAA playoffs. Championship game. And that would be a championship uh, yeah. game. Yeah, because both of those teams won't get into the playoffs ultimately. So, yeah, long story okay. short, that would be ugly for everybody. I, that's not what you want to have happen. Granted, maybe it's a rubber match type situation, so mm. they get to duke it out in the field. I don't know what to say beyond still in Division three football, three out of your ten results being the same team is not exciting. But it is what it is. No. Uh, yeah. Rambo's carving knife. Uh, asked the question about uh, recruiting, how the perennial top three, uh, how the perennial D3 uh, teams uh, separate from the rest uh, with upper divisions theoretically taking the star players. Uh, well, you know, yes, but there are a lot of guys that want playing time. And so they, yeah. they get a chance to go to a school that gives them both playing time and a chance for a championship or some kind of success in football. And that's why there is this divide in terms of recruiting out there for guys that have talent that just don't want to go D1 and maybe would have had you know a shaky scholarship situation over time, uh, per se. So they decide, hey, I'm going to go D3 instead or use it as a stepping stone to try to get to a higher uh, D1 school. Uh, Joel Valadez uh, ends up at Oregon State from Linfield, for instance. So it's not completely impossible. He hasn't seen much playing time, if any, uh, this season. I was looking back at his stats the other day. Uh, but, you know, there are different reasons or different pathways for people in Division Three that kind of merge together on these teams in recruiting. So I, I, what are your thoughts here with respect to how you think recruiting ends up building the teams that are already kind of on top of the heap here? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, programs that have that consistency and they can point to, hey, we're on ESPN every year or every other year, or we have these deep playoff runs um, is intriguing. But if you really look at the landscape of Division Three, and this is where I'm going to have to tread lightly, because um, I know some people get a little sensitive about this subject. But, you know, for instance, um, the majority of D3 colleges tend to be small private liberal arts schools that have a pretty significant price tag, but anywhere from fifty to eighty thousand dollars a year. Um, the schools out in Wisconsin, if you're in state, cost about ten to fourteen thousand um, dollars. So you can save a lot of money um, by going that route. If you stay in state versus going out of state, you can go to some other private colleges in the Midwest that cost about half um, what the Region Two and other schools cost. Um, and so for most families in the United States, you know, cost is a pretty big deal. Uh, there are a few exceptions to the rule when you have sort of national and, and academic reputations like uh, Hopkins or Carnegie Mellon, where there could be some institutional or other aid that gets involved. But I think a lot of the um, advantages that the Midwest have, has kept over the last 15, 20 years has been that their schools are less expensive. Um, and you know, from the academic standpoint, while well, they think they're strong, they may not be as competitive as some of the Eastern schools go. And you know, being able to provide access from a cost and an admissions perspective is a big reason why I think they've continued to um, you know, keep a, a pretty strong chokehold on things. Now that said, there are exceptions to that rule. North Central is a very academically competitive and admissions competitive school. They're not super inexpensive. They have gone all in on football. I saw that with, with Trinity also. Um, their president flew out to Georgia for this game. She met with the football coaching staff the week of the Barry game. Like they, some schools just care more about football. And that's that when you have that extra, whether it's money for the assistant coaches and all these other things, if, if you care about football, you can make a, a better run in division three. But if you're scraping by with the very bare minimum of, of assistance and recruiting budgets and all that type of thing, it's very hard to compete, particularly when you have these you know, high price tags and, and, and other things involved. 
Well said. I'm not going to add anything to that. Uh, and uh, we'll just flow over to Big Arthur Calvert. Big Art Calvert uh, on uh, X. Uh, what players have stuck out to you this year, good and bad? We don't talk about the bad uh, because uh, that, that's just not right. But the good, um, yeah. plenty of players. Uh, I mean, Caleb Blaha obviously is one. And, I, I, you know, it was sad to see somebody had to lose that game ultimately. He was on the losing side. Uh, we're Whitewater fans yeah. too here. Don't get me wrong. But uh, he, he's been extraordinarily good uh, this season. Drew Campanelli, obviously, uh, is somebody that sticks out. And, again, answering the question, what would have happened, perhaps, if he did not go down to that Cortland first-round playoff game last year? Uh, Clayton Morangi, obviously, for Endicott, uh, has been a, a stalwart there. After kind of sharing duties uh, when he first came in, uh, he's been uh, exceptionally good. Derek's like uh, I think it's Slyka uh, over at uh, Ithaca has had some key moment mm-hmm. uh, scenarios for his team uh, this season. Game We've uh, highlighted some of them. Week. Yeah, and among other Locked things. the field so, goal at RPI. Yeah, <laughs> and this guy is all over the place. So, well, you know, there's uh, that as well. Uh, go ahead, uh, reel off a couple of yours. I'll think of a couple more maybe while you do. Um. You know, when I think about who's going to probably be a finalist for the Gallardi Trophy, I think you could probably say Braxton Plunk from Mountain Union. He was a finalist last year. He's having a great season. Luke Lennon, the quarterback from North Central, has been very impressive. He hasn't needed to throw in the ball, but... Tucker Horn, I mean, uh, let, let's go down to I was about uh, to say that. I was about yeah. to say that, yeah. Tucker is definitely right in there and, and probably the final three or four you know, guys who would, would get Gallardi, um, you know, consideration. Cyberson from St. John's, obviously lots of great stats and, and leading one of the, the top teams in the, in the nation. There's really no shortage of, of guys we could rattle off as far as, you know, great players, but it's ones like Horn and Plunk that really stand out that will probably get the, um, the Gallardi looks uh, in a couple of weeks or well, a month. Couple months. Finally, Culver's. Long, it, when does the whole Gallardi thing start, Frank? <laughs> uh, we're about a month away from that, buddy. Uh, Culver's okay. Smith Bowl reminds us uh, that the uh, WIAC, uh, I guess, uh, updated their uh, AQ policy in tiebreaker scenarios, and uh, it really didn't change much. If they have a three-way, one-loss tie, it's still the Rose Bowl rule, uh, no matter what. And so. Uh, that would be a really disappointing way to decide ultimately who goes to the playoffs uh, from at least the Pool A perspective. Though you would have to assume yeah. that Pool C would take the team that doesn't make it or one of the teams that doesn't make it. And hopefully there's clear-cut enough uh, scenario whereby somebody that probably was the most deserving gets left out or at least the second most deserving gets left out. Uh, what that yeah. means, these three-way ties are unbreakable for a reason. Uh, it's never easy, but still, usually you have a good look and feel. Like overall record maybe is different between the teams or something like that. You know, lacrosse did lose uh, to uh, Harden-Simmons, and so maybe they, they should be below for that reason. Harden-Simmons was a different team when they played them in week one. Don't forget. So let, let's not mm-hmm. completely, or actually it was uh, week two, I think, wasn't it? Uh, but whenever they played, three, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, they, they were just a different team. So let, yeah. let's kind of shake that off and realize that right now we've got a great race in the WIAC. We'll see where it lands ultimately. we got to go here. Uh, we did post our 28 uh, conference breakdown, which is a very large document. But you got the idea of the number of teams still with a chance here in Division Three for playoffs. Uh, a lot of Pool C eligible teams, it looks like, as things go on here. Yeah. But week by week, that list will start to shrink down. We'll start getting winners, maybe as many as four or maybe even five if somebody pulls a, a outside straight draw somehow uh, on you know things in week nine. We could have... A fifth of our, or sixth of our uh, things decided, or seventh, I guess, at four out of 28, uh, mm-hmm. at week nine, which is unusual. Uh, but yeah. just stay tuned. We'll give you more information as that comes along. And don't forget, the first regional rankings come out, I believe it is, on November 1st this year. So be ready for that. That's coming up. Your final thoughts on week seven as we uh, start for week eight? Um. Just want to, one more time, just say, you know, hey, AJ, I'm sorry to see about the, uh, the leg injury. 
Um, I know I've kind of joked tongue-in-cheek that I can't wait for you to be done with your football career because you keep beating my alma mater. Um, just congratulations on a, on a heck of a run. I, I, I hate for student-athletes to have to go out like this. Um, you know, sometimes accidents happen, but I know you're a tough guy. You, you've been a great leader for your team. And even if you can't actually impact the game on the field with, the, with your amazing arm and, and legs, I know that the team still looks up to you as a leader. Uh, you're still one of the captains. You're one of the best players at quarterback in the country. And so hopefully they can lean in on that. And just wanted to say it's been a real pleasure watching you play football these past few seasons. And we know that you've got great things off the field for you in the future. So sorry I had to wrap up like this, but man, it's been a great ride and um, congratulations to all your accomplishments and, and good luck um, the rest of the way. The Bombers still need you. Yeah, they do. Uh, and uh, he'll be obviously doing what he can to root them on and maybe even uh, become a uh, you know grad assistant coach at this point if he can't play out there yeah. because uh, he definitely has a football mind uh, from top to bottom. So we wish him the best, wish his family the best here uh, if he can't come back in the season, which uh, from what we're hearing is likely the story uh, ultimately. Maybe we're wrong. We'd love to be wrong here, but uh, right now it yeah. just seems like uh, that that is what the story is going to be. Week 8 coming up on Friday. We'll get our preview show together live at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And um, then we'll uh, begin to, uh, like I said, get our, get our movements here toward playoffs uh, little by little. Playoffs. That's going to be the complete focus of everybody. And so we'll join the fray on that. Thanks for joining us here on Crunch Time, and we'll see you on Friday.